Jesus Christ, you do have the words of eternal life, uh, and they are challenging to us, Lord. They cause us to question our motives and reassess our lives. So again this morning, Lord, may we hear from you. May we hear your words of eternal life speaking to our hearts. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, may we receive them. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, just as a bit of an aside, this has nothing to do with my message or anything, but we had our first wedding here yesterday. It was super fun. Uh, so Megan Carlson and her now husband, uh, Bamba Boyuk, uh, were married here. Uh, they left the flowers for us all to enjoy. Aren't those beautiful? Uh, the flowers each, uh, I, don't, I, I can't point to the exact ones, but different flowers represent different parts of the country and different parts of the world uh, that they've been to. So... My, my charge to you is, a, is to figure out that story. Um, I, I don't know who to ask about that, uh, but figure that out and come tell me about it. I'd love to hear about that. Um, so some of you know, uh, several years ago, I used to be a, a tech guy at a Christian private school here in the cities. Uh, I love that school. Uh, part of my role involved introducing new technology to teachers, uh, which doesn't always go well. <laughs> um, and that's not a knock against teachers. That doesn't go well in a lot of industries. Um, but I remember putting on this one workshop. Uh, I think I called it something like digital organization or something like that. I put that on for uh, my colleagues. And I introduced this concept called Inbox Zero. Anyone fans of Inbox Zero? Awesome, you all get extra communion bread today. <laughs> that's a joke. If you're a first time visitor, that's not a thing. <laughs> Just so you know. Um, so I introduced this idea and Inbox Zero is basically this concept of dedicating specific time for checking your email and when you do so, you commit to uh, eliminating all the email that are in your inbox. And I'm very passionate about this concept. I love this concept. I think it's a, a really helpful uh, key. But when I presented this to my friends, I might as well have been personally insulting every single one of their mothers. Like, it was not received well. Everyone in the room hated this idea. They would say things like, do you have any idea how many email I get every single day? Uh, who has time to process every single email message like that? So, like I said, uh, I love these people. These are my colleagues. These are my friends. And so when they rejected my idea, uh, I, I was sad. Uh, I felt upset. <laughs> um, I, I felt uh, especially upset because this is the right way to do email. So if you didn't raise your hand, um, let's have another talk later after the service. Uh, it, it's benefited me, it's benefited my friends, blah, 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 blah. Inbox zero, great, they rejected it. Uh, shame on them. Uh, so what's my point in all of this? We do not like having our ideas rejected. Uh, we don't like having passions of ours rejected. Uh, my guess is you can think of presenting something to uh, your boss or maybe uh, your housemates or something, and, it, and that rejection sometimes strikes a very deep core in us. We love proving that we're right, and when someone is wrong, we sometimes enjoy punishing them uh, for being wrong about that. So I'm curious, if you're to think back through the events in, of our nation of this past week, 
And if you were to think about the kinds of news articles you saw on Twitter and on uh, the book face, you know, like, like what sort of reactions would you be seeing from people? My guess is you were seeing one of two things. On one hand, you were probably seeing a lot of holy high fives and slaps on the back. On the other hand, you may have seen uh, calls for battle and for burning. On one hand, you have victorious triumphalism. It feels good to win. It feels good to be right. It feels good to be certain that God is on our side. You know, yay us, boo them. And on the other hand, you might have self-righteous condemnation. God is on my side, and he won't tolerate the oppression of my people, so how dare they do this? So routinely and predictably, though, the, the church, we often fall into both of these mindsets, sometimes even at the same time, triumphalism on one side and self-righteousness on the other. And they both stem out of the same belief that God is on my side. They both ask God for power, and they both ask for God to silence enemies. So let us turn to our reading from the book of Luke, because I think that's precisely what we're talking about here in this gospel passage. So Jesus is a Jewish teacher, he's a rabbi, but he's traveling through a Samaritan village. So if you're, if you're new to studying the Bible, if you're new to New Testament times and everything, uh, Samaritans and Jews hate each other. They hate each other a lot. Uh, on a religious level, they have a disagreement as to where the proper place is for worship, uh, if it's on this mountain or that mountain. And as human uh, history routinely demonstrates, religious disagreements often turn to other things. Uh, they turn to rejection. Uh, they evolve into uh, accusations of impurity or threats of violence, and then sometimes even actual violence. We see this throughout the New Testament uh, as well. We see that the disciples would refuse to go near the Samaritans, and the Samaritans would distance themselves from the Jews. Sometimes they'd throw rocks at each other. Sometimes they'd call each other names or threaten one another. Well, here in this story, the Samaritans reject Jesus, and James and John don't like that feeling of rejection. Again, they, they are offended by this. So Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and that wouldn't have been a secret. Uh, they, they would have known this, uh, they would have known that, uh, but they would have been offended that this Jewish teacher is now passing through their space. This rabbi, this propagator of Jewish religion is, is passing through their town, and so tensions rise. One of the others is going through our midst, and not just any other, a leader, no less. Um, how many of you have seen The Chosen? There's, yeah, isn't that great? Like, I cry at every episode. Um, it's, a lot of it's speculation, but I'm, I'm a sucker for that stuff. Um, but this scene is depicted in there, and you see like the Samaritans throwing rocks at Jesus. Uh, they call him names, um, you know, and it's probably fair to assume that at least some sort of threats or something were happening here. But the people rejected Jesus, and James and John get really mad. Jesus, God is on our side. He will not tolerate the, the oppression of his people. Certainly they must see that you are the mighty Messiah. You are about to purge Israel from the Romans. So let's start now. Let's start now by purifying Israel, by, by eradicating these filthy Samaritans out of our midst. Let's settle this argument once and for all. So as an aside, Jesus calls James and John the, the sons of thunder uh, because this kind of behavior is, is fairly typical of them. Uh, they're explosive, 
They're vindictive, uh, and so they get this name, the Sons of Thunder. They want to be just like Elijah the prophet, who when he encountered the prophets of Baal, uh, he, the fire actually came down. So James and John are wanting God to act on their behalf now. Do you hear the self-righteousness in their voices in this? Do you hear the assumption that God is on their side? Do you hear them wanting to silence their enemies? One scholar, Amy Odin, says this, and listen carefully to this. If you don't hear anything today, hear this. It is a short step from rejoicing in the good news of Jesus Christ to attacking those who do not share in it. It is a short step from rejoicing in the good news of Jesus Christ to attacking those who do not share in it. Well, Jesus will have none of this, will he? He rebukes James and John. Boys, stop this. Let's move along. Let's go to the next village, he says. We have work to do further on down the road. You could say that Jesus is pretty good at diffusing thunder. Uh, We've talked before about him calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Well, here he's calming the storm in the hearts of his disciples. Well, that brings us to the second paragraph of today's reading. And on a surface level, it might be kind of odd that these two are right next to each other. What do these have to do with one another? We might be tempted to think that they're completely unrelated to one another. But that's not true. These two paragraphs absolutely go with one another. In fact, the second paragraph holds the antidote for us of self-righteousness and triumphalism. So in this second paragraph, these would, or Jesus, as they continue to journey along, and these would-be followers come to Jesus. There's three of them. First, one says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, what he's saying to this first would-be is, if you follow me, don't expect any comfort in my travels. <laughs> this is not going to be a comfortable journey. And then another comes to him, And he responds to Jesus' call by saying, let me go home and take care of my elderly father. And and to be clear, in Jewish law, there's almost no other, well, as far as being a son is concerned, there's nothing more noble than taking care of your parents. He's directly obeying the fifth commandment. He's honoring his father and his mother by, by taking care of his parents in their old age. Lena, I hope you take care of me in my old age, okay? But Jesus says that following him is, more, is a higher calling than even the most noble of our customs. Following him is a higher calling. And then there's a third follower. And to this person, uh, he, says that he, or to this person he says that he wants to, to first go home and say goodbye to his family. But even this, even honoring your closest relationships must come second to following Jesus. Not comfort, not customs, or close relationships take a higher place than the call to Jesus Christ. And these things are still a part of our life today, right? We still want security and safety for ourselves and for our loved ones. That's a good thing to desire. We also want healthy customs to hold together our society so things don't unravel. We also want to receive respect and love and give respect and love to our loved ones. These are all good things. They come from the Lord. But God in our walk, God will regularly test us by bringing us to a fork in the road. 
The Christian pilgrimage, this journey that we all walk, every person in this room walks, is filled with forks in the road where you must choose one of two ways. Do you wanna follow this desire and this pursuit? Or do you wanna follow Christ? Customs, comfort, close relationships, or Christ? So how do these two paragraphs pair with each other? How, is, how do these speak to each other? How does the second paragraph answer? How does, how does Jesus first uh, answer the temptation of triumphalism? Well, again, Amy Odin is helpful here. She says that this is an opportunity uh, to pivot. When we are tempted to focus on how right we are or how wrong others are, we should feel that rage bubbling up in us as a red flag. And that, those moments should call us to stop and take assessment. These are an opportunity for us to pivot. Instead of examining ourselves, or I'm sorry, instead of examining others, we must examine ourselves. So what am I so attached to in this world that's causing this anger to flare up within me? What am I trying to protect with my anger? my self-righteous condemnation, or my victorious triumphalism? What am I trying to protect with those things? Is it your home? Is it your salary? Is it your car? (laughs) Is it your vacation schedule? Is it other comforts of this life that you're trying to protect? Or are there customs or traditions or ways of life that you cling so, so tightly that you're trying to protect? I love being an Anglican. Uh, I agree with J.I. Packer, who says that Anglicanism is the most wise way of being Christian. Isn't that a lovely thing to say? I think so. (laughs) Um, But shame on me if following the Anglican way takes me off the path of following the Jesus way. No custom comes before following Christ. What about close relationships? Are Are there relationships that you're in with friends or romantic partners that distract you from faithfulness to Jesus Christ and the high calling that he places upon us all. Perhaps these relationships dominate your imagination or your calendar and there's little room left for Jesus. So again, when you feel this rage overcoming you and you don't know what to do with it, ask yourself, what am I trying to protect? So one final thought. Most people in Israel didn't really travel very much. Uh, Going on journeys like this were um, extremely rare. And if they did travel, it would be for an annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. And along the story, as people got closer and closer to Jerusalem, they would tell stories of the great exodus from the Old Testament, how God rescued his people from slavery, from the land of the Egyptians, and brought them into the land of promise, a land of fruit and honey. And we're told at the beginning of this story, in our gospel passage, that Jesus has his face towards Jerusalem and that he had sent messengers to go ahead of him. I love this. In the original language, messenger can also mean angel. In the book of Exodus, we're told that God would send angels before his people to prepare a way, uh, to clear a way for his people to come through. So did Jesus send human messengers or angels before him on his journey to Jerusalem? I don't know. Like I said, I love speculating about these things. Um, But that's not the point, is is it angels or humans? The point is that as we read this, we're supposed to be realizing that this is an Exodus story. 
Jesus is doing more than just walking down the road to another city. He is about to rescue humanity from the clutches of sin, darkness, and evil. This is the exodus of the human race that he is set upon. This is his cosmic mission to set every man, woman, and child free from sin. And so his message to us in this is don't look back. Don't be distracted. Join me in this journey and don't look back. Don't let anything of this world pull you from this this absolutely important task that I am set upon. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Have you ever plowed before? I haven't, but I hear that if you're plowing and you look behind you, you start kind of wobbling like this. You know what I have done before is I've driven my car and looked in the rearview mirror and kind of veered off the road a little bit and you hear the wah, 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 as your car hits the side of the road. It's the same principle here. Jesus is saying, don't veer off the side of the road. Stay on this path. Stay straight and, and squarely focused on Jesus Christ. His victory is far greater than defeating, <laughs> than defeating Romans or Samaritans or Democrats or Republicans or whomever. There is going to be a day in which we are not hindered by sin anymore. And now as the church, as the people of God, we get a foretaste of that. We get moments of victory. We get moments of enjoying the presence of his Holy Spirit here in our lives, here and now. We get to come to the table and be nourished by Jesus Christ as a promise of of him transforming all of this world, all of this cosmos for his glory. He will comfort you with his very presence, not with cars, maybe, I don't know, but not the cars won't. (laughs) That's another conversation for later. He will comfort us with his very presence and we won't be distracted by the gifts that he gives us. Those won't tempt us from turning our attention away from him, but only push us further into our attention and love of him. All of our customs of this world will be perfectly aligned to God's design for human flourishing. In all of eternity, we're going to love one another and receive love from one another in peace and unity and joy. So friends, follow Jesus. Listen closely to his words. And don't let the things of this world distract you from following him. Obey his teaching and join with us in proclaiming the goodness of the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the God of light and of life. Lord, we love you. And we love the ways in which you are um, redeeming each one of us, Lord, moment by moment, one degree by one degree. From glory to glory. Lord, may we be a community who is single focused upon you and who you are. Lord, may we not be distracted by the cares of this world. May we proclaim the goodness of your kingdom and the beauty and the fullness of your love for every human being, Lord. Guide us now, Lord. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.